0: Pro 777 Radio, episode 215. It'll be a Thursday main show. We have an exciting show today. Um, we covered Walter Russell recently. And by the way, Jason Lingren is with me. And from the Russell Museum, that is the Walter Russell Museum, there is a foundation um, because his work was so important. Uh, Matt Presty is here with us today, who is the director of the museum. If I make mistakes in the things I'm laying down here, Matt, you can correct me in a moment. Anyhow, welcome, Jason good morning crow do we have anything or are we jumping in we are jumping headlong into the fray all right a couple episodes ago and i will give you the number it would be 211 episode 211 which is titled mind creates reality and emotion is the color and fuel of that creation uh we covered ideas about walter russell On the episode image down in the lower left, there's a quote from Russell. And in a way, that one quote almost sums up a way you could think about the work that he did. And to be perfectly fair, I've studied a lot of Eastern philosophy uh, philosophy from all over the world. And it almost appears to me at this point that we have people that become illuminated at some level, and they're trying to describe how they got there and what they learned to the culture that they're speaking to. Anyhow, welcome, Matt. Thank you, Crow. Appreciate it. Did I get all that right when I introduced you?
1: Yeah, I'm currently president of the University of Science and Philosophy, which was formerly the Walter Russell Foundation.
0: Okay, so is it actually is that the actual title of the university? Correct. And where is it? We're located
1: in Waynesboro, Virginia.
0: Okay, so let's jump in here. Um, I, As I have stated a few times in shows, I'll state it here again, um, I had been challenging everything. Some years ago, I came to understand that electricity is the only force in our world, and by proxy, electromagnetism. I think Walter Russell calls it the daughter of electricity. Uh, it was maybe a year after that that I bumped into the Universal One, and my jaw dropped open. Here's a man describing what I could not yet describe, but I was pretty reasonably positive that I had deduced correctly. The way I got there is I started to take all the systems that make energy in our world, and I realized you can't run any of them without electricity. That's how I started to get there. But where would you like to start if we're going to give people an overview, a primer, a way to become familiar with Walter Russell's
1: work? Sure. Walter Russell was an illuminate. He had a 39 day illumination in what is known in East and West mystic study circles as the light. So, in that illumination experience, he wrote down some 39,000 words with Naria correction and hundreds of charts and drawings, which he was bid to deliver to the world of science. And so, he prepared his first manuscript to the world of science over a seven year period again, a command from that experience. And he released, uh, from 1921, his experience, in 1927, he released To the World of Science 1,000 volumes of his magnum opus, The Universal One, To the World of Science. And in his own words, he said, basically, that science laughed at it, scoffed at it, and threw it into the wastebasket. Uh, There were several people that were profoundly touched by the book, its implications. Um, He, had, of course, had the New York Times op-ed exchanges with several different prominent physicists during that time, uh, one of which uh, ended up affirming that his his uh, new ideas were to be taken seriously and that he wasn't a crank or a crack pot as he first was called out by several physicists of the day. So um, Nikola Tesla being one who who wrote to Walter and and bid that he lock his work up in a sepulcher for a thousand years because mankind was not ready for it. So basically, Walter Russell was an illuminate, a mystic, modern-day mystic of the day. I, I like to refer to him as a three-dimensional alchemist. He, he took the circle and the square and brought it into the cube and the sphere. Uh, he laid out a seamless cosmology that was perfectly in tune and in concert with nature, uh, the human body and all bodies and he basically gave the big toe theory that Thomas Campbell talks about to the world of science back in the late 20s and early 30s so he was a pioneer Uh, he was also a a self-taught artist he mastered all the five fine arts with only a fourth grade education and that would be uh, architecture music poetry, painting, and sculpting, as well as uh, he received 11 conferred degrees, one a doctorate of science for his work on the transuranium elements and the discovery or the prediction of heavy water, which he gave to a uh, group of scientists, some 400 scientists in California during a lecture in the 30s. Of course, he got no credit for that. Uh, We do have letters where he wrote to the Nobel Prize Committee asking for posthumous recognition. They never did authorize that, of course, or he would be much more well-known. So, uh, aside from demonstrating in his life what he called the power of working knowingly with God or the creator or the universal intelligence, uh, again, I should uh, disclaim that that basically in Russell Science, Russell Philosophy, you have uh, many references to the creator and the Russells were very fluent on what God creator is. So they included many more words than you would generally get in a inscription from, say, Christianity or Islam or Buddhism or something like that. Basically, God is that universal intelligence. It's consciousness itself. Man should progress from God 1.0 to God 2.0. You know, we need to upgrade our conscious knowledge concerning God and what it is. So don't let the term offset your... Uh, understanding, seek to marry different words with it, you know, like silence, stillness, uh, equilibrium, oneness, uh, the all, you know, terms like this that basically will uh, upgrade your understanding of what it is and how it works in, in the life of man. And so what he was able to do was demonstrate moment to moment connection to that divinity within himself. And that's what their home study course was written about, is how to attain that moment to moment connection so that all you do, you're working with the divine and putting absolute power into your creative abilities, supercharging your own creative abilities and unfolding the genius that lies dormant within you. And that's basically the entire, uh, philosophy that the Russell's taught. And then the science is a natural science, uh, which culminates in the understanding of the true cosmological origins and nature and continuative cycles of repetition of light waves that occur in the universe and how it works and how we can work with it. So just a brilliant man overall. He's very little known. It's an honor for me to be able to serve as president of the University of Science and Philosophy in that capacity to promote his teachings and to you know continue the study of the science and furthering possible scientific breakthroughs, which we're having some real great success with, albeit at a slow pace. It's not easy to unfold and unpack the work of a man like this. So just, uh, you know, great honor to continue on in the tradition of former presidents and administrations of this university, this esteemed institution. And uh, I'm happy to join you today, Crow. So thanks.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, uh, just from episode 211, we got A number of people more to take a look at russell i know jason even went out and grabbed the universal one but what's ironic about what you were talking about is go go figure you know western science won't accept anything from an illuminated man maybe maybe if he was illuminated with a black light they'd have been more apt to 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 go with him Uh, it goes to show the kind of almost religious nature of what passes for science in our age where everything is theoretical and I've said so many times, a theory is just a damn idea. And if a theory is very old, it's not that great an idea. Because that means this idea can't be proven over a period of time to be something more than just an idea or a theory. And it's almost become the totality of scientific learning in our era. But Russell, he's the exact opposite of that idea, of this kind of theoretical existence we find our things our, ourselves in. But when you get the universal one, the book Universal One by Walter Russell, one of the things you'll notice is there are hand-drawn, I'm not going to call them schematics, I guess you could maybe, um, but they're diagrams to help you visualize and understand what it is he's attempting to describe, but they are so uniform from the first one in the front of that book to the last one, they marry idea to idea to idea, re-echoing what's already been laid down. And it's really quite a thing when you come across that first diagram, because at first you're thinking, how do I make heads or tails out of this? And then you begin to realize, I believe in too much complicated nonsense. I got to start simpling down, simplifying as Jason, when we before we came on the air, Jason said, it's almost like binary in a way, um, not synthetic though. When we say binary, we think synthetically, but um, there's another book that I got later, and I'm trying to remember. Is it the is it the Divine Light? Is that
1: the correct title? Uh, that would be the message of the Divine Iliad, and that there that was know. centering around his 39,000 words. That's what he referred to those words as: the message of the Divine Iliad, which is you know of course the story. Basically, the 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 words he wrote down during that 39-day period of illumination. So
0: he's using the ancient idea of the Iliad to kind of illustrate the journey that he had. But uh, we should point out that in every major religion in the world, there have been illuminated people. And for the most part, I don't think we know very many of their names in this part of the world. So it's quite a thing to consider that maybe a human being did reach illumination and in christianity this might be the idea of heaven In eastern traditions enlightenment nirvana there's all these other words and other cultures that try to describe the elevation of the human mind to that level kind of free of illusion uh in the clear light being able to see definitively and that's really what is claimed to have happened here but what's more is everything we read from the man is based on that experience
1: right yeah and and may may I just uh clarify too that inspiration is is according to the russell's a minor illumination and I'm sure you've been inspired we've all been inspired so this is a very practical spirituality it's a very practical philosophy they called it a living philosophy because they they knew that there were many dead philosophies out there but the living philosophy is you know to the degree that you are aware of the centering light within you is to the degree that you can express that to the outward world and how few people are aware of that inner light and their own potential power for creativity. And so we're given the apps, we're given the smartphones, we're given the, you know, the, the booze, the drugs, we're given the, uh, ding, ding, dings at all the casinos, you know, the blinking lights, the flashing lights, the, the, you know, Six Flags and Disneyland and, and endless Hollywood production after Hollywood production. All things that take away our attention from the inner light. And so basically, you know, as a practical philosophy and spirituality, as I like to call it, the power of understanding that even to the small degree of you being inspired is an illumination experience. And we often think that illuminants are untouchable, that we can never be there. So we might as well just become cult followers and and read their words as if they were the words of God himself. When What the Russells are teaching is that you have all that power within you and that even a little uh, inspiration is to be considered an illumination because it's giving you that light. That inner light is the inspiration. That's the, the still small voice of the creator speaking to you. And it would behoove us to listen, to learn to listen to that still small voice, which is our inner power. In much the same way, in dangerous situations, as Nikola Tesla was quoted, that's when he would receive these flashes of light, as well as very inspired situations. So those flashes of light, as, as many people, even regular everyday people who wouldn't otherwise uh, be thought of as illuminates, we all have the ability to illuminate. Within ourselves, and you know, to to be very clear, I don't mean to refer to Illumination as Illuminati. Uh, in fact, I like to refer to those people as deluminates, <laughs> there you or go. Uh, or, or, you. or that's appropriate, yep. d- the deluminati, because they're not illuminated at all. You know, trying to control and and uh, off seven point something billion of your own fellow man is not a very illuminated uh, kind of approach to you know, getting humanity to the stars, in my humble opinion. But uh, yeah, so illumination itself is something that we can all strive for. It, it, You'll know you're close to it when you have a feeling of inspiration. And as Russell would say, you know, the mistake that so many people make is when they get that illuminated feeling or that inspirited feeling, you're in the spirit in the spiral, right? When you get that feeling of inspiration, we often go to the smartphone or we go to something that distracts us and then we end up losing it. So, as opposed to going to Coney Island, buying a hot dog, and riding on the Ferris wheel, pay attention to that, <laughs> that feeling of inspiration. Follow it because you're close at that point. You're very right. close. Before I see if Jason wants to get in on this, um, you said a couple things that are important. You know, I
0: see so many people using the term awake. Um, and I've stated for the record a lot of time. I don't consider myself awake at all. I consider myself aware that I need to be much more awake. But that awareness is, in, is critically important because when you get into that state of awareness that there is something more, there is this thing that I can seek for, you do have flashes of what you've called illumination. I have it all the time, and I, I think to myself, where did that come from? You know, you hear songwriters express the same idea. Well, I was waiting to be inspired, and all of a sudden here I had this song, and I thought, where did this song come from? It's, it's a thing that happens that really you don't have words to describe. I often describe understanding something as false. It's similar to smelling something burning in the kitchen. You hear a word, you hear a single little blurb of something, and you instantly know something wrong with that. You can't describe to another human being what it is or why it is necessarily, but nonetheless, you know beyond the shadow of doubt that there's no truth in it. There's no ring of truth. And I try to describe it as I smell something burning almost. But Jason, I thought I saw you getting ready to edge in here.
2: Yeah, well, a lot of this sounds like self-reflection, almost like a meditational kind of thing or reconnecting to the greater whole is sort of the way it's impressing itself upon me. But when you brought up about the whole de-illumination thing, was Walter Russell aware that there are forces behind the scenes that are trying to distract, and as you said, most likely trying to knock off a whole bunch of us?
1: Yeah, and I I would say, again, there's a practicality to that too. I mean, I I would prefer to deal with people as opposed to, you know, Interdimensional entities, and we can get into that. I, you know, I'm not even 100% certain you're even pointing toward that. But as far as uh, forces, yeah. In one of his first recorded lectures in 1952, he was going on about uh, who he thought were the greatest criminals. And he said, the greatest criminals in the world are in the United States government. Huh. The Russells were, were pretty staunchly anti-communist. And they, they had uh, referred to the dangers of communism in several of the writings, the world crisis being one, the electrifying power of man-woman violence being another. The scientific answer to human relations, they lambasted uh, communism as a, as a terrible master-slave dynamic that, you know, unless we can go and rise above that, the need for master and slave, we're always going to find ourselves enslaved in that dynamic. Um, I've been on the Unslaved podcast a few times, and and Michael Tessari and David Whitehead addressed that to a great degree as well. And I think true spirituality, and this is one of the things that I, I recently had a little light bulb go off in my head, but true spirituality is a psychological understanding. You have to have psychology being the psyche, which is in Greek, mind and soul, and the allergy, the study of. And you could say that spirituality itself is knowing the mind and soul and what it is and what its purpose is. So I think psychology and spirituality more or less go hand in hand. And without a strong psychological makeup and understanding of your own self, your own dynamics, you know, the things that, you know, we would call patterns that drag us into dark places, which are many and many times self-imposed. You know, a lot of us, I, I can truly say that I've hurt myself more greatly than any other human on the planet has. And it's a lot of work to come back from that. But having that strong sense of self introspection is something that, if every human, let's just say the United States, for instance, would have been a little more psychologically prepared, I don't think we'd be seeing the kind of reactionary evidence, you know, destroying the economy currently and driving 66 million children into extreme poverty. 110,000 businesses, uh, restaurants alone may not reopen. And then 45% of small business in the U.S. may not reopen due to this reaction. You know, I'm a first responder as well, so I serve on two volunteer fire departments. And one thing I can say for sure is that reaction is the lowest form of human awareness where response is the highest. And so being a first responder, this was not a response that the U.S. population uh, was exposed to. It, It was... Or made a choice for it was a reaction, and often with reactions you end up in more trouble and more danger. So, had we had the the strong backbone of psychological understanding of an extent of the population, we would have had a much different response as opposed to a reaction. And when you're reactive, that's when you can you're highly suggestible at that point. In a response, you're fortifying and and choosing a method. Of how to respond as opposed to a reaction which can be easily steered off the edge of a cliff by people who understand psychological manipulation the the students of the bernays of the world and such you know <laughs> which are populating many of our government branches our bureaucratic systems or otherwise known as the deep state and so again you know even even to say i'm uh, i would just say that having that marriage of spirituality and psychology which to me is synonymous you know, you can't really have one without the other. And to be a very strong spiritual person, you know, it's not enough to sit on a, on a rug and meditate 30 hours a day. <laughs> you have to have an understanding of who you are, you know. And the New Age movement is sort of a infantilization of that strength where, you know, if you just you know, pray to the, to the secret movie long enough, you, you're going to end up in a better position in your life requiring no action and no work. Now, what the Russells assert throughout their writings is that, you know, thinking without action is basically worthless. So the power of prayer is best utilized if you act. You know, you can have a conference with God all day long, but if you don't act and, you know, in other words, you can daydream and pray for 80 years of your life that you want to be a great concert pianist. But if you don't woodshed, after 80 years, you can go sit in front of a piano and not be able to play a single song. So all the prayer in the world is meaningless without action to follow it up. And that's, I think, what a lot of the New Age movement disregards is the action principle.
0: Well, you said a number of things that I think are critical. Um, Basically, what we're experiencing right now is an illusion. And the fuel of that illusion is fear. And it, it is. It's totally reactive. But you could almost think of the difference between a reaction or a response. As a person in a horse-drawn cart, the reactive person doesn't even have their hands on the reins, and words have meaning. What What is reins signifying? Where a responsive person who's giving a response has their hands firmly on the reins. Their mind is driving them. What do we do next? What's the next step here? And we do see that what's happened here is a reactive fear has taken over all over the place. But did you finish where you were going there, Jason?
2: Yeah, and actually I quite agree with all that was said. That makes perfect sense to me. You need to be proactive, not reactive.
0: Well, you and I have done a lot of episodes that showed where the kind of table started to twist and become unstable in the early 60s because of social programming, which again was putting people in a reactive situation uh, based on illusions and emotions. And the whole New Age movement We've shown it's called it's actually written into documents from the programmers called the Aquarian Movement, and they purposely planned to get people to leave their Western spiritual traditions and to just like grab on bits and chunks of these other things from around the world and do exactly what Max said. Well, what I'll do is I'll sit on this carpet with pretty posters on the wall and a black light. I'll smoke a reefer and I'll pray and somehow I'll be getting closer to enlightenment or whatever they're thinking. That was all well planned. By the people who understand how the human mind works, and we've even covered the roots of that all the way back to Freud. But actually, I'm not even aware. Matt, how many many books are available from Walter Russell right now? I have The Universal One, which is, I think, the real main starting point for anyone. Correct me if I'm wrong here. And I have The Divine Light of the Iliad, or whatever you correctly uh, term the title of that book. But how many others are good, valuable books that people could get if they want to know more about this?
1: Well, there's about some 20 books plus, I'd say. Uh, We have a lot of booklets available. The main site for the University of Science and Philosophy is philosophy.org. Again, that's www.philosophy.org. You can find everything there. There's a treasure trove of stuff that since I came on to the university in 2015, we've uploaded and updated ranging from videos and articles and just a ton of great resources. Uh, It's the largest depository of resources concerning Walter and Leo Russell available on the web including a gallery, information about the museum. Um, and I must also just say, as a disclaimer, I, I don't speak on behalf of the university when I, when I offer my own interpretations. Uh, everybody's entitled to their own opinions, interpretations, and I just want to make sure that's clarified and that I'm not speaking on behalf of the, any fire department. But uh, I do uh, formulate my own conclusions through 25 years plus of, of serious investigative research Uh, And so I just, uh, I would say 20-some books to answer your question. And, uh, you know, every bit of those purchases help to preserve the Russell legacy, which is more or less the motto of my administration. Uh, Past administrations have come in and tried to change things to make them politically correct. I changed them back. I don't believe that anybody should alter somebody else's work to be politically correct. Uh, that's one of the greatest disservices we can do especially to uh such a genius as walter russell even those that aren't should should people should leave their work alone you know and uh, so uh basically any purchases help to preserve the russell legacy so that future posterity can enjoy these works and uh their name carry on in history
0: well i appreciate that frame of mind and there's a couple things firstly we have copies of the Universal One. So, if some agent of the system wants to come in and make things politically correct, uh, I would point out this is the importance of owning one of these books. Um, you can't change what's written in those pages if somebody comes along. And I would further point out that, you know, and from my point of view, when people like Russell come up with such big, expansive ideas that other illuminaries and geniuses of the time recognize as important, and yet science and the establishment won't accept them? Well, look what's going on in the world right now. You want to know something? If every human being at some early point in school had been exposed to the ideas of Walter Russell, would we be in such a reactive, fearful state based on illusion right now? I would ask. But I'll point out another thing, and we talked about this a little bit before we went on the air, so I'll just kind of overview it because I don't remember exactly. But if I remember correctly, when I first got into the Universal One, Walter Russell had shared his ideas with, I think it was an MD. It was a doctor of some sort. He was so taken aback by what he was presented with, that he said, I'll foot the bill to get these books out. Don't even care if we don't make money. It's so important that I'll foot the bill to publish these beautiful hardback books. And they are quality books, by the way. These are the kinds of books you could hand down generation to generation. And these are the books I value above all others for that reason. It's not just some flimsy thing that's going to come apart over time. And what's held within it even more so important ideas, but but think about that, and this is way back in the early part of the 1900s that this is going on. But when other people have come in, I mean, how how would I, I guess I could see how you could change the organization? But we have these books, and the books say what they will. Did people actually come try to change the content that
1: was to be printed? Yeah, and no, I'm not going to name names. Uh, I don't want to get into a. Uh personal tit for right. tat, but I'll just say, I'll say this much that there, there was an organization, uh, past administration that basically caused a rift in the university. And it was because they had chosen to unfortunately reformat and change some of the things that the Russell's had, had written. There were other plans in, in the air that never materialized, thankfully. And there's a lot of rumor in innuendo too. But ultimately, what I've done is with my administration is not only we've gotten the artwork out of storage after nearly 19 and a half years in a dusty warehouse, but we've also gone back. Uh, we're going back to the original third edition of the home study course versus the fourth. Uh, the fourth was basically... Uh, returning to the first edition and then adding footnotes, addendums, and taking out the double spaces and making it more university textbook-like, uh, which was really the rift that was caused between the, uh, that administration and the student body. Uh, the student body knew that the Russells, one of their main wishes was, was that all succeeding administrations and, and student body uh, members, alumni members, do not change a word do not so much as change a single word of any of the writings because you know again people may think they're qualified to edit things but my my uh, analogy to that is if you look at the mona lisa and you were an, uh, say an art critic and you you found it to be unpleasing which drops of paint would you have remove <laughs> removed from the canvas and and that just comes down to sort of an arrogance and i think it's a lot of it's due to that new age idea that you know, instead of leaving things alone, we should approve upon them by editing them. And, and, you know, and I just don't follow that line of that kind of philosophy. It's it's sort of what we're at odds with in today's world, or, or, you know, this idea of cultural Marxism and, you know, this idea that we should all be the same and that there's really no, you know, we're all in this together and that there's no individuality and that, you know, we should all be molded out of the same caricature and you know it's just it's ludicrous you know nothing in nature has perfect identity with anything else every leaf is different every blade of grass is different every snowflake is different and i think there's even been scientific studies they've spent millions upon millions of dollars to try to find two snowflakes or two blades of grass that were identical only to find out that each and every single one was unique in its own way so that's the greatest strength. And that's the greatest kind of diversity is to honor the the differences in people, not to try to make them all the same by culturally critiquing it all and, and trying to blend it into a blender to make it gray for everybody. I mean, what a boring world that would be, right?
0: This is kind of the problem with where we are. I've said endlessly that we don't really have culture in the West. We watch some movies. We like some TV shows. But we're, you're addressing one of the side effects of that. Without culture, you don't have traditions. Well, what are traditions? Traditions are things that shook out over time that had value. And so it was decided at some point that we've proven the value here and we'll carry this forward. So if you consider a man who, if, if you're going to consider the premise here, a man was illumined. For some period of time which implies that he had access to information at a higher level than the vast majority of us do and then someone else comes in to edit that then they've missed the point entirely and and that's what gets me about these things but you mentioned another thing which i want to delve into for a second so many people fed up with so many aspects of what it means to be in civilized society these days so many people homeschooling their children because they don't agree with what the institutions are doing and teaching. And I heard you mention that you actually have homeschooling or online schooling. Can you get into that for a minute for someone who might have an interest? And by the way, um, at what age does this become appropriate? Is this for children too, or is this for adults? Uh, who, who's the constituency
1: that might take an interest in the schooling? Well, sure. I, I'll first... Uh just validate the university's title. It did meet Virginia state requirements as a, as a university and educational institution. We are a 501 C three. So the Russell's met that requirement by having a certain number of students and then their own curriculum. So we're not an accredited university though. We do have, you know, the university does have its own curriculum. It's called the home study course. It's meant to be studied at home. Uh, Generally, it can be taught to children but it would probably need to be you know leveled to their playing field a little bit more though some of the concepts are very universal the way the russell's present them is more at an adult level so uh, one of the things i would have liked to s- seen done is is have a children's version of a home study course now that would not be altering anything it would be simply creating something new as a appendix or as a addition to an already existing teaching you know people We're not discouraging people from writing their own accounts of something the russells did just not changing what the russells wrote so ultimately you know as a home study university we do a lot of correspondence home home study correspondence by sending these courses out to people worldwide in over 45 different countries uh for the past 71 and a half years so ultimately uh it, it can be taught with children. Um, it's meant to basically be a study of natural science and universal law and living philosophy. And that's the pretty much the premise of the home study course, which is 12 units. It's a one-year course, and it's meant to be studied over, you know, each unit would be a week of study, so 52 total weeks. And that ultimately, you get a certificate at the end of that, but again, there's no testing, there's no kind of you know, accreditation, you know, there's no credits to be had or transferred or any of that. But the majority, I'd say, of our student body are people who came out of colleges and universities and were just left desiring something more than what they had been taught. You know, you think of the word university, right? Universe, city. (laughs) So, yeah, it's so ununiversal what we're seeing being churned out of universities, which are little critiquing cultural Marxists who want to basically burn down Western civilization. Well, that's pretty much an antithetical way of what the University of Science philosophy teaches is the unfolding of man's soul, uh, the, the utilizing of his own inner power to become creative and how to do that. And basically, it's the course is being taught by an artist who not only lived that, but knew very well how to be creative and how to access that inspiration that that very creative potential within himself and so that's the the basis of the entire uh, cosmology and teachings that this university offers and so for the uplift of humanity as opposed to the control of humanity and that's one of the great differences between this university and others out there and there are many great universities out there that that aren't into the cultural marxist points of view the the herbert marcus and uh, philosophy and the the Marx, you know, the, the that kind of philosophy, which is critique everything, but don't allow anybody to critique you, you know, is basically, you know, so <laughs> in, in that sense, you know, it's like, um, it's refreshing to know that there are still in existence organizations out there that don't necessarily buy into the, you know, the communist fascist overthrow of Western civilization that, you know, the West is built perhaps the greatest civilization that ever existed on the planet and it's uh, there's a reason for that and it's uh you know the great artisans the great architecture which we don't see so much of anymore it's that that ability just like farming is dormant it lies within our DNA and most people have the ability to access it and again these teachings help bring out that able-bodied and minded ability within an individual and the beauty of the Russell teachings is they're cult proof. You know, there's nowhere in any of them that asks you to get on your knees and and pray to a, you know, Walter Russell statue. It's it's all about removing the middleman, the thing that would stand between you and the creator, which is you know your ability to access your own conscious volus- uh, vocations, and implement those into your life. This is a very hands-on, working with the self kind of philosophy. And the beauty of that is it's cult proof because there's no one that can come between you and yourself. And that's uh, one of the greatest things that I found when I discovered his work that that really lured me in was that, you know, wow, for the first time, I'm actually reading something that that says I'm the power I'm looking for, not somebody else. And that there needs to be something in between myself and the creator in me. So that's that's one of the pluses. There it is, man. And before I tee Jason up
0: here, when you start talking about natural law, universal ideas, universal rights, universal, I'm already banging on the door. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to take some time out this week to go look, I may well take the course. Uh, I'm very interested to know more.
2: I was wondering, just so that folks who might not be familiar with any of this might have something to work with. Is there a simplified version We could give of the cosmogony that Russell presented, like a way that we could discuss it to compare and contrast with the normal mainstream philosophy and the way they instruct everybody, really, from preschoolers on up on how the universe really is supposed to be structured.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, First, I'll just say, concerning the home study course, uh, we're discontinuing the fourth edition, so I would definitely... We're going to be releasing a, a revamped, I should say, we'll, we'll be reprinting the third edition, which is the, one, the last one that the Russell's edited. So I would make sure to get the third edition. We do have that available at Amazon as an e-course. Again, all that proceed helps to preserve the Russell legacy. So the third edition will be reprinted. Um, I would definitely, if you're going to get the print edition, try to get the third edition. You can go to dowsers.com. They currently offer the third edition. The university uh, is basically we're going to have a fire sale on the fourth edition and eventually reprint the third. But with this whole mess of having to shut down, a lot of the things that we had planned to do are now sidetracked, unfortunately.
0: Matt, before you address Jason's ideas, uh, will you show up under the full show and comments i'm sure people are going to ask questions and want links so i know you have an account i just wanted to get yeah, that in so that people understand that that you'll show up and i'll email you and i'm sorry for interrupting uh go ahead you can no that's fine i'd go be happy to jason's ideas
1: yep And concerning the, here's your basic introduction, what the Russells taught, what Walter Russell's illumination gave to him, and he had no special interest in science at all. He hadn't even read a science book prior to his illumination in 1921, but he ended up drawing all these charts and graphs, hundreds of them. And uh, basically what it amounts to is that he was to deliver a new science to then scientists of the day. That was a two-way motion universe as opposed to a one-way, heat-death-dying, explosion-only universe. And you can simply look at nature and see that nothing in nature explodes to come into existence. I mean, you can't really count a volcano, which is the result of perhaps thousands of years of compression to equal that explosive force. But basically, the, the the idea that the universe just exploded from a point of nothing is is not only an impossibility, especially in a two-way motion universe, but it's it's highly improbable.
0: Proven impossible by a law that we call thermodynamics, by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah. The the discrepancies are in and throughout. You know, and basically, what we had in around the year 1910 to 1930 was a overthrow of the philosophy of idealism which basically you could call it creative intelligence you could call it the, the 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 whole philosophy of materialism is what rules the science of today uh the materialist idea is that there must be this basically everything must align to the senses and the problem with the senses that is that they can only detect things that are expanding or exploding or um, moving away from each other. The ability to detect compression or the inward flow of the wave of creation. Now, now Walter Russell proposed that there was this thing called the wave and to understand the wave is to know the secrets of the universe. Well, the wave moves in two directions to crest and trough and back again. And so it's cyclic. It's a re- re- repeating cyclic universe. Uh, it's a holographic fractal optical universe as opposed to a uh, reductionist heat death exploding universe made of particles. And so basically, you know, carbon would be the god particle in russell science. Carbon is the perfect balance of the wave. It's ironically referred in the atomic structure as the 666, the 6 electrons, 6 neutrons, 6 protons because it's the perfect balance of the wave of creation, the balance between male and female. And that's the point at which the wave begins to be expressed in nature. Is what we would call hydrogen. And you can even see how materialism uh, took. If you if you research spiral elemental charts, you'll find that back in the early 20th century, and prior to that, there were many, many uh, scientists who had spiral charts of the elements, and it just happens to be Mendeleev's two-dimensional reduced. Table that becomes the foundation of all science, and so I think right there you're seeing as opposed to moving forward into three dimensional alchemy, they decided to you know drive a stake and drop the anchor in the two dimensional world. Uh, That's again an unfortunate side of the the philosophy of materialism is because what you're doing is you're rooting man to you're basically chaining man to his senses. If it doesn't meet the strict requirements of reductionism using the senses then it must not exist so again your two-way motion universe is the inhalation of all bodies and the exhalation where materialist philosophy says that basically there's only explosion and that's how we got this ludicrous idea of a Big Bang, which happens to be a Catholic interpretation of the origin of the universe. And it was uh, Monsignor Georges Lemaite who said that he proposed the Big Bang theory. And the Pope Pius XII, uh, basically, <laughs> he gave Lemaite the thumbs up and says, this is a validation of the Catholic faith. Our Jesuit priest, uh, Georges Lemaite's theory is a validation of the Catholic faith. So there it is. I mean, you could go into more and more, but Another interesting thing, since we're on the topic of the Universal One, is that uh, Pope, I can't remember which Pope it was, might have been preceding Pope Pius, might have been Pope Pius, but he basically had his underlings write to Walter Russell. And this is an interesting note. This is why Walter Russell never reproduced, in my opinion, the uh, Universal One. He never reprinted it. He was basically given a summons, an issuance of decree by the by the papacy that uh, he was not to republish that book huh. or you know it was a threat or, or you would basically and there was you know you didn't need to to write what they would do just basically he 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 understood it he even said this in one of his uh, lectures he said I was basically you know and and people can disappear. <laughs> People can disappear, have their livelihoods you know, completely eradicated if you go against a papal decree. So he was more or less threatened not to reprint this book.
0: Well, that, that should it, tell everyone listening that you need to just take a break from what you're listening to right now and go ahead and get the Universal One. Uh, the Masters of the Dark Universe tried to stifle the information here, which tells you on the face of it uh, that it must reside in the light. Because the Masters of the Dark Universe... They're not offering light, are they?
1: No, I don't think they ever have. A colleague yeah. of mine referred to the the church as the, the armpit of evil on the planet. And, you know, in some cases I can agree. But uh, ultimately, you know, when you have a two-way motion universe, you understand that all bodies breathe in and all bodies exhale. Um, it, it certainly explains quite a lot that, that you know, why is it that we make exploding engines and you lift a space shuttle into the air and it creates a toxic cloud of gases and fire and explosive potential and explosive force and defect. Whereas nature can lift 300 foot tall uh, trees into the air, you know, the, the redwoods, for instance, and generates coolness as she does it. You know, nowhere in nature do you see explosions happening to create life. So, again, I think when when you have a two way motion universe, you can, you can. Uh, Ultimately line it up to your own body and see how you you have yourself two hemispheres, you know, a left and a right side centered by an equator. Your left and right side breathe in through your nostrils and the two become one and you exhale heat from your equator, just like the planet breathes in through the two poles and exhales heat from the equator. And this is ubiquitous throughout nature. and And the great thing about it is is its spiral. That's the first picture in the universal one is a spiral. And what you're seeing is, you know the spiral nature of the elemental table and how it creates all structure on the planet from the inert gases which are very close to the equator through the unfoldment of spiral motion through a plus one, two, three, and ultimately culminating. At the crest of the wave, which is planetary formation and body formation, not just in cells, but in all of nature. So you have the spiral motion in the DNA all the way up to the largest supercluster galaxy. And so that is the ubiquitous way in which I, I call the spiral the creator's signature. That's how God signs his creation. And you want to see the signature of, of God, just find a spiral anywhere in nature, and they're everywhere.
0: So I, I should insert something here. So True. many people discovering that they're not about the NASA models anymore, and they're challenging it, and they're coming up with new ideas, or maybe they're old ideas. But the point I would make is in many of the models of the people who have challenged the NASA universe, uh, the way supposed space works, almost every body, what I call lights, uh, are moving in a spiral motion. So for all you F.E. folk, Uh, Walter Russell has something for you. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't get lost in language, descriptive language here. These spiral patterns are key, uh, in the things that so many are looking at, but we're at about 50 minutes. So we're going to wrap up here, the hour one and queue up to come back and do hour two and blow a few things open. Jason, anything you want to get in to the end of the hour here?
2: Well, I had just started reading the universal one, just got past the preface, unfortunately. So I don't know that much yet about all the subject matter. But even what I gleaned from that, and then just looking over the biography of everything Russell had done, this is really great stuff. And I I hope folks do take the time to consider it. And I love the fact that it seems to make so much more sense and integrate the concepts of science and religion, kind of pulling them both back from their extremes and giving you something to work with that makes a hell of a lot more sense, in my opinion.
0: Well, I'll tell you, tell you one thing that struck me is the other thing that I had been up to my eyeballs with was the periodic table. By the time they were getting to Berkeley, Einsteinium, California, I, I I'd had it. And I said, somebody needs to challenge this, but I'm probably not the guy because I don't know enough about the what I call artificial science backing it. But I knew and I was going to prep up to make myself a little more aware to be able to challenge. There it is. Walter Russell, what's he do? He says, look, periodic table might be better described in this way. Matt, we're going to wrap up our one. Is there anything you want to get in? And actually, since we are wrapping up, why don't you tell people where they can either find the material or you, whichever way you want to go at it. If you don't want to provide direct contact, I understand it does get overwhelming. But go ahead and tell people where they can find things or yourself, if that's what you choose.
1: Yeah, sure. All things Walter and Leo Russell can be found at philosophy.org, philosophy.org. For my personal contact, you can hit mattpresti.com, M-A-T-T-P-R-E-S-T-I.com. You can find me on YouTube as well. Uh, I've produced uh, over 139 videos, uh, much music, poetry, uh, documentaries, things of that nature. And that's about it. You can also find me on Facebook.
0: All right, that brings hour one of episode two fifteen to a close. And one more thing, I'll add into hour one. Uh, Matt's actually going to give me an intro uh, to the chief science officer of the Russell Foundation or the the university we've been speaking about, um, and that will allow us to engage a little more deeply in the kind of, I guess, what we would think of as the scientific nuts and bolts of what it is that Russell laid down. So I'm excited for that. In hour two, we're going to get into a heck of a lot more. And I hope people take the time to go look at what we're laying down here. We've come up in a country. Um, well, let me let me go at this a different way. How many times have you come to listen to Crow and hear me say, I go for all these old books before the modern edit"? And I used to say early 1900, you know where I draw the line now, and you can count the way is all you want, 1911. If it's before 1911, I want that book. I want to preserve it. I want to hold the universal one or anything printed before 1911. Because in fact, what we saw was this switch over into this illusory kind of make-believe world where theories were going to rule the day. And whatever they could get the human mind to believe in, that's the way things were, brothers and sisters, like right now. Did you know that if you touched your wife, you could die? That's going on right now, and it's all an illusion. Come join us for hour two of episode 215 over at Crow777radio.com. Crow777radio.com is the only Crow site. There are at least two fraud sites, though I do believe PayPal's about to smack them down. So join us at Crow777radio.com for hour two of episode 215 covering Walter Russell. Cheers.